0: Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright.
1: Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. I'm very pleased today to be talking with Eric Crittenden, Uh, With Longboard Asset Management, Eric is on the phone with us from Phoenix, Arizona, their headquarters. Eric, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio.
2: Thank you, Charlie. It's good to be here.
1: So, Eric, you're the Chief Investment Officer there at Longboard, and you guys have two mutual funds. So give us a brief history of Longboard, will you?
2: Sure. So Longboard was started back in 2011, our CEO, Cole Wilcox, and myself, We left the hedge fund industry because we saw that there was a big, unmet need in the marketplace for uncorrelated alternative returns in the retail financial advisor industry. So we started Longboard Asset Management and rolled out some mutual funds that were wrapped around strategies that we'd been running in the hedge fund universe for a long time. And again, our goal is to compound at a reasonable rate of return in a way that's not related to stocks and bonds.
1: Okay, explain that a little bit, in a way that's not related to stocks and bonds.
2: So the two strategies we run, one is our long-short equity strategy, and it is primarily a rules-based trend-following approach applied to all the stocks in the Russell 3000. And it's long and short, meaning that we're essentially betting on the performance of strong stocks relative to weak stocks. And this performance itself, this spread between those two groups, is generally uncorrelated with the beta of the stock market itself. So in that sense, this program can deliver returns that don't necessarily track those of the stock market or a 60-40 portfolio.
1: Okay, so, so let me stop you for a minute. So it's a long-short strategy, but it's built on trend following. Now, most long-short strategies that I have followed have been fundamentally based. So yours are not fundamentally based. That is correct. Okay, so you're following a trend, and typically the key to trend following is what time period to select. So do you like three weeks, three months, a year and a half? What kind of time focus do you use in your trend following analysis?
2: We focus exclusively on ultra-long-term trends. So regardless of which program we're talking about, our average hold time – on a winning position is uh, in excess of 16 months. So we're talking about very long duration trends.
1: Yeah, so do you do stocks only or do you also do sectors and indexes?
2: In the long short equity program, we only do stocks. So every stock is in the Russell 3000. Uh, We trend follow on those stocks and then we go short by shorting index futures.
1: Uh, let's go over that again here. I'm a bit confused. So you go long stocks, but you go short indexes?
2: That's correct. So uh, shorting indexes is very uh, efficient, cost-effective, right, uh, and scalable. Shorting individual stocks has a whole host of problems and issues associated with it. And essentially, what we want to do is be long a subset of the Russell 3000, whatever the strongest stocks. And then we want to hedge out most of the market correlation and beta by taking short positions in liquid, easy-to-trade index futures.
1: Okay, and you do that through sectors primarily?
2: No, we trade um, the three big index futures. So you've got the S&P 500 large cap, S&P 400 mid cap, and the Russell 2000 small cap.
1: I see. And so the, uh, you, you have about how many stock positions that you invest in? Right uh, now, stock positions, uh, do you invest in long?
2: Right now it's about 700. It usually oscillates between 600 and 900 depending upon how good the breadth is in the market and how uh, the market conditions themselves. So if we're in a bull market, we generally will have in excess of 800 long positions. If we're in a bear market, that could be down around four, 400 or 300.
1: I'm sitting here kind of in shock. How do you keep track of hundreds of positions like that?
2: Well, that's the power of computers. We use computers uh, as tools uh, to help us manage um, a portfolio of that scope and to manage the risk. And uh, for a computer, uh, 600 stocks, no more complicated than six stocks.
1: Okay, so is this rules-based where they're automatically sold when uh, certain things occur?
2: Yes, everything we do is completely rules-based. Uh, discipline is everything in this business there's no subjectivity to the day-to-day operations so we um you know the subjectivity and the qualitative component went into the construction of the original rules years ago but on a day-to-day basis we just maintain discipline put one foot in front of the other and follow the rules
1: so how do you determine what what what, uh degree you should be net long or, or or net short
2: We let the market conditions, the breadth in the market, how many stocks are hitting new highs, uh, and the volatility of those stocks dictates to us what our exposure should be. So if we have a lot of stocks hitting new highs and the volatility is low, then our exposure will be big. However, if the volatility picks up, our exposure will come down. Or if the breadth starts to deteriorate, then uh, likewise our exposure will come down.
1: You know, I've got to congratulate you here, Eric. This is a very unique long-short strategy. I mean, I, uh, this is not at all the uh, you know the, the the typical. Hey, we go long uh, fourteen positions and short six positions here. So, do you make these determinations of what degree you're going to be net long or net short daily, or weekly, or quarterly, or what?
2: Uh, every day, the portfolio is reevaluated. We pull in all the data from the different exchanges, collect all the dividend information, divestitures, mergers, spinoffs, corporate actions, clean all that data up, and then run it through our models, and then it gives us a, an optimal, optimal portfolio, and we compare that to the actual portfolio, and the differences between the two creates a trade blotter that we send to the broker the following uh, day in the morning. So it's reconciled and rebalanced on a daily frequency.
1: I see. And so you're you're probably making changes most every day if you've got that many stocks. Uh,
2: yeah, pretty much every day there's some trades. Um, I don't want to give you the wrong impression, though. The program itself will hold a winning position for about a year and a half. Uh, it'll hold a losing position for about six months. But at the margins, because there's so many stocks, uh, yeah, you're always buying three, four, five, eight stocks each day and selling two, three, four stocks each day.
1: And and how does that play into the expenses of the the fund?
2: Uh, The expenses are pretty reasonable. I've been running this program for over 11 years now, and I'm always surprised at the end of the year when I do an audit of all the transaction costs. Even though it seems like it's pretty active, we're just moving a little bit of inventory off of each side, closing some stocks out that are broken down, adding some new stocks in that have broken out. But by and large, the the you know ninety nine percent of the portfolio is static each day, so there's not that much trading going on on a dollar weighted basis.
1: So uh, your your evaluation of the trend, okay, that that you're using here, uh, is it fairly simple? Does it have you know forty seven factors, or does it have two or three? Well,
2: the the evaluation of the trend is as simple as it can get. So. We collect the data on all these stocks, and then we factor in the dividends, and we get the total return stream for each stock. And if that total return stream is hitting a three-year high, then we will buy the stock the next business day. It's that simple.
1: I see. Okay. Well, again, this is very, very unique here. And then you short simply uh, on a market basis, basically.
2: Yes, the goal of the short is to strip away three-quarters of our beta and correlation to the overall stock market. So what ends up happening is we own all these stocks that are in the Russell 3000. Right now we own about 800 of them. And then we go short these three index futures, which uh, collectively are essentially the Russell 3000. So we're actually shorting the same stocks that were long.
1: Right, but, right.
2: But we buy enough of the stocks we want to own to more than offset their exposure inside the indexes. So what ends up happening is we end up being net long, all the stocks that are trending higher, and then synthetically net short, all the stocks that aren't trending higher, giving us a nice, balanced, diversified, efficiently priced long-short portfolio.
1: You know, (laughs) what can I say? This is uh, very, very different, and it really sounds intriguing here Uh, because, again, I've looked at and talked to many, many uh, long-short strategists, but they have a very different strategy, and if it does what you say it does, then you are in the positions that are trending higher, and you're out of the positions that are trending lower.
2: That's a good way of saying it. I should write that down.
1: Okay, this is very, very interesting. We need to take a quick break here, Eric. And so we'll be right back uh, to talk more about this long-short strategy. And then before we finish, we're going to want to get involved in your managed futures uh, strategy as well. Again, we're talking with Eric Crittenden, Chief Investment Officer of Longboard Asset Manager uh, Management out of uh, Phoenix, Arizona. You're listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Radio. And we'll be right back.
0: According to the consulting firm Strategic Capital Allocation Group, every decade since 1900 has experienced at least one bear market, and several have experienced as many as three. All right, now back to Charlie and his guest.
1: Paul, thank you very much. Again, having a fascinating conversation with Eric Crittenden, Chief Investment Officer of Longboard Asset Management out of Phoenix, Arizona. So, Eric, you guys uh, basically have a strategy where you go long those stocks, U.S. stocks of the Russell 3000 that are in an uptrend or have a certain amount of momentum. Okay, and then you short that same market through indexes, okay, so that in essence what you're doing is you are seeking to be long those with momentum and to be short those without momentum.
2: That is correct.
1: Okay, so why do you not just take the same criteria that determine those that are in momentum to identify those that are not in momentum and short those. Uh, is it because it's just such a hassle to short that many stocks?
2: Well, we modeled all that out years ago and have continued to look at the costs associated with shorting individual stocks. Yeah. And they can be exorbitant. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. There was, time, yeah, there was a time it cost 90% annualized to borrow Tesla shares. Uh, that cost <laughs> to borrow changes on a daily basis. Yeah. And then, this terrible thing happens when when you when you're short a stock and it really starts to go down and you think wow I'm glad I'm short that stock the broker pulls it away from you because the owner of those shares wants to sell it himself. Yeah. So it's hard to hold the borrow when the short's really paying off and then the cost of borrow is a is a high number potentially and it's variable through time. When you use index futures none of that's an issue. The costs are are rock bottom, and your ability to hold the position is unquestioned.
1: Can you be net short?
2: In this program, no. We don't go net short in this program. It can go to zero exposure. Uh, When Lehman filed bankruptcy in 2008, uh, prior to that, we had about 4% net long exposure, so we were pretty close to having zero exposure. Uh, But no, we do not go net
1: short. Okay, so, so you could be almost market neutral, but not quite. Yes. Okay. And are you considering being able to go in that short, uh, given where the market is and P.E. ratios and other things?
2: No. um, Once we design something, it takes us a long time to come to a consensus internally. Um, Once we design something, it's very important to us that we not succumb to any kind of peer pressure or social pressure uh, to change it. So we're going to leave it as is. We may design something in the future, uh, but I'll tell you this, Charlie, from my experience, I've known a lot of people uh, who tried to make money shorting the market. None of them have been able to compound at a positive rate for an extended period of time. Um, there's just something about short selling that it may add value to a portfolio, but we're in the business of compounding long term. And there's so many other ways uh, to make money that we're just not interested in dedicated short strategies.
1: Okay. Okay. And are you guys looking at uh, moving to other markets with this strategy? You're only doing, uh, as you have mentioned, the uh, U.S. domestic uh, Russell uh, 3000. Uh, Are you looking at uh, doing any commodities or any international or into bonds or anything like that?
2: Well, actually, uh, the long-short program is a minority portion of our business. Our flagship program is our managed futures program. That's where 80-plus percent of our assets are. So we are in the commodity space, currency forwards, you know, metals, grains, livestock, things like that.
1: Okay, so tell us about the Managed Futures Strategy. Does it use the same core evaluation system and methodology?
2: It uses the exact same risk management um, computer code um, and philosophy. The entries and the exits are a little bit different for futures than they are for, for equities. In the, uh, in the Managed Futures program, it's both long and short. Futures are different than equities. Equities are a capital formation market, and the risk premium is typically a one-way street. Um, in the futures markets, they're more symmetrical. They're risk transfer markets. So you have to be willing to go both long and short if you want to be on the right side of risk premiums long-term.
1: So uh, do you go short uh, markets, or do you go short individual positions? Uh, how do you do your short side?
2: So in the Managed Futures Program, we're trading the 140 most liquid futures markets around the globe. So we'll go long or short. We're completely um, agnostic to market direction. If the market's trending higher, then we will go long. If the market's trending lower, we'll go short, and we use the same uh, entry criteria on either side.
1: Okay, and you use different evaluation criteria to determine what, where the momentum is going than you do on the long-short?
2: Yes, we don't wait for three-year highs. So in the futures program, we're looking at five-quarters worth of data. We're essentially trying to align our interests to those of commercial hedgers because in the futures markets, that's where the risk premiums come from. So you need to be providing liquidity to commercial hedgers if you want to compound at a positive rate in the futures markets long-term. So five-quarters is kind of the – the general uh, time frame that commercial hedgers will look at in order to estimate intrinsic value of a market, try to get a baseline, a price to lean against. So we look at the same thing. And then if the market is trending higher and it goes up to the 99th percentile over the last five quarters, um, that to us is an uptrend and we will initiate a long position. Likewise, if the market's weak and it's trending lower, and it goes all the way down to the first percentile, over the last five quarters. Then we'll initiate in a short position there.
1: And you mentioned you're in how many markets uh, th- throughout the world?
2: We track 140 uh, global futures markets.
1: And are you in every one of those every single day, short or long, or just some of them?
2: Just some of them. We, uh, we're either long, short, or flat. And if you pick uh, one particular market, let's say uh, Japanese kerosene, Uh, And you go back to the beginning uh, when that market first started trading, I believe it was 1980, and you apply our methodology to it. What you'll see is that we're long about a third of the time, we're short about a third of the time, and we're flat about a third of the time.
1: Well, very, very interesting here. And um, this is all in a mutual fund, correct? Correct.
2: Yes, it's in a standard plain vanilla mutual fund with 1099 tax treatment. It's just like any other mutual fund from the investor's perspective.
1: And both this and the long-short fund are in a mutual fund? That's correct. Okay. And uh, what are advisors concerned about in getting into this Managed Futures Fund?
2: A few things. Uh, One, there's an education component. You know, most people are comfortable with stocks and bonds and real estate, um alternatives like this have a there's a high bar uh for educating people as to why it works what to expect how to explain it to clients um and you know there are going to be times when it loses money and how to explain that to clients so we have our work cut out for us we take that part very seriously um and we try to make it um consumable because the education is uh it's new you know we've got 140 markets in 25 different currencies. There's different continents, different time zones. Uh, Some of them are priced in different languages. So the learning curve can be kind of steep, but we make that as easy as possible for people.
1: And uh, so you basically have created this strategy with the evaluation factors, and you have applied all of this into your algorithmic systems, uh, in, a, in a quantified way, and it basically runs itself on a rules-based system.
2: Yeah, that's a fair characterization. I will say this, though, that um, it's completely rules-based. It's very disciplined, but under no circumstances do the computers send orders to the brokers. There's always a, a personnel in between uh, our systems and the brokers, so... I myself have gone through every trade that we've ever done for the last uh, 11 years. So I, I'm, I'm a big believer in the human being uh, taking a look at what's going on, because every now and then the exchanges can get the prices wrong or they can move the decimal place or whatnot, and there's, just, there's, there's room in this process for uh, the judgment of an experienced human being to review everything before it actually gets sent off.
1: Uh, are you guys using uh, leverage, or are these primarily uh, are they hedged positions in any way in the Managed Futures plan?
2: Well, leverage means different things to different people. So futures contracts are leveraged by design. Right. Uh, they're, they're designed to be efficient tools to, to use for risk management, and that means that we leave your capital alone. Uh, we'll give you the exposures you need, but it's it, on your end, you need to manage the risk. So, and depending upon who you're talking to, leverage can mean economic leverage, legal leverage, you know, obligations and whatnot. In the managed futures world, a lot of the terms have different definitions than in the traditional investment world. I can tell you this, though. Um, Our managed futures program has one of the lowest uh, margin to equity or leverage uh, utilization rates uh, of, of any managed futures program out there. Uh, and that's because our hold period is so long. We don't need to put large positions on because we're not trading very frequently. We're holding directional trends, hopefully for one, two, or three years. Does that make sense?
1: Well, yeah, I accept that the commodities marketplace, most managed futures programs trade much more frequently than that.
2: Most of them do. That's correct.
1: And uh, but, but the longer trend, uh, you're comfortable with that?
2: I am. In fact... Um, I know a lot of the operational research people in this industry, and you know, I've corresponded with them for years. And one of the things that no one ever really brings up, but it's still true, is that 80% of the returns for the managed futures industry comes from 20% of the trades, you know, the Pareto principle. Yeah. And the bulk, the bulk of the profits, they come from the long-term trend-following model. The rest of the models, you know, the short-term, the, the neural networks and all these things, they're really just uh, an excitement factor to get people excited about paying fees and whatnot, but things haven't changed. The big, lumpy risk premiums are captured with the durable, robust, long-term trend-following models. So we just avoid all of the exciting stuff on the left end of the curve. It doesn't add that much value.
1: So are you guys commodity trading advisors also for, uh, for other clients besides this mutual fund?
2: Yes. We are registered with the NFA as a CPO, a commodity pool operator.
1: I see. Okay. Well, this, again, is, is fascinating stuff, Eric, and we've got to congratulate you guys. You've created something here and put it in a mutual fund wrapper uh, that uh, is just very, very interesting. And like you said at the very beginning, these have a very low, if any, correlation with U.S. equity and bond markets, correct? That is correct. So, Eric, a question we'd like to ask all of our guests here is what keeps you awake at night?
2: Oh, you know, the one thing that costs me a little bit of sleep is the potential unintended consequences of all of the government intervention that we've seen over the past eight to ten years. Um, We are in uncharted waters in a lot of ways, and I think I I just have a a feeling that the unintended consequences are going to make themselves known on my watch during my career, maybe starting very soon. And that is something that has me thinking long and hard about counterparty risk, liquidity, things like that.
1: And, and uh, no question about it, you are not the only one that has concerns in those areas. Uh, question number two we'd like to ask all of our guests is, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners?
2: Well, there's two books in particular that I recommend to people. Um, one is called Poor Charlie's Almanac by Charlie Munger from Berkshire Hathaway. I, it seems a little odd that we, people view us as quantitative investors. Um, really, at the end of the day, we're all value investors in one form or another. Um, and the, the way Charlie Munger thinks about things, where he likes to invert concepts and work from right to left, and in addition to left to right, uh, has really helped me a lot over the last you know, 25 years see things that I otherwise never would have seen. Uh, So that's one book. Another one is uh, The Alchemy of Finance by George Soros and his theory of reflexivity. Um, That made a big uh, impression on me when I was uh, in college back in the mid-90s and really allowed me to think about things like unintended consequences um, and how brittle, hard, brittle things that have been in effect for a long period of time can crumble overnight. And, you know, the... It's the adaptable that survive, not the strong. So those two books, I don't think someone could go wrong by reading both of them.
1: Hey, Eric, thank you very much. Uh, We've had a couple of hundred interviews asked that question every time, and nobody has recommended those books. So thank you very much for that. So, Eric, give us, uh, for our listeners who want to find out more, give them a website and contact information, will you?
2: Sure. You can go to longboardfunds.com. And uh, we have two websites. Another one is longboard-am.com. That's our corporate website. And you can find out all about us and our strategies and our philosophy at either one of those sites.
1: Okay. And final words for our listeners here, Eric.
2: Uh, This is the kind of stuff that you want to be talking about. Your radio show is very interesting. You're talking to people that think outside the box, thinking about alternatives, Uh, thinking about constructing portfolios that aren't just the necessarily convenient ones that are offered essentially for free. So we are in uncharted waters. Now is the time to, I think, be conservative uh, and be prudent, Uh, but don't give up hope because uh, even though we've had a lot of challenges over the last 10 years, if you look back historically, uh, times like that are usually followed by times of opportunity.
1: Well, we all certainly hope you're right here, Eric. So, Eric, thank you very much for joining us today from Phoenix.
2: My absolute pleasure.
1: So, again, we've been talking with Eric Crittenden, Chief Investment Officer of Longboard Asset Management out of Phoenix, Arizona. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio and octalkradio.net. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Info at strategicinvestorradio.com. And go to our website to listen to podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you an enjoyable week. And productive investing.
0: You've been listening to The Strategic Investor, your source for compelling investment strategies from some of the most productive asset managers in the industry. For unique investment strategies, visit us at Strategic Investor com. Investing is not rocket science.